This is Talking Pictures. Hello and welcome to Talking Pictures, your essential guide to the movies with me, Frida Cooper. And the big names are out in force this week. Arnie Schwarzenegger in Aftermath, Alec Baldwin as the boss baby, and Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman, who are going in style. Did I tell you those guys in the bank had machine guns? You told us six times already. It keeps going in my head over and over. Maybe you're having a stroke. Here you go, boys. Always have your pie. Life is short. Well, thanks for the reminder. She's right, you know. We should be having our pie and eating it. We've earned that much, at least. And we'll be hearing from them and Alan Arkin in this week's big interview. It's much the same among the DVDs. After all, they don't come much bigger than The Rock. And he's in Disney's Moana. Maui, shapeshifter, demigod of the wind and sea... I am one Hero of, of men. What? It's actually Maui shapeshifter, demigod of the wind and sea, hero of men. I interrupted from the top, hero of men. Go. Plus, there's the new top five at the British box office and the latest movie news headlines, all in the next 20 minutes. So let's get on with the new releases. And first up, it's Going In Style, released Friday, Certificate 12A. And on the face of it, it rather looks like something aimed very specifically at the grey market. I'd like to think it isn't. And we'll see if I get my wish in just a moment when I take a proper look at the film. First, though, it's a three-handed big interview this week with Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman and Alan Arkin talking about why they got involved in the film. Well, at least that's the starting point for the conversation the depth it was funny but it was better it, it was more than funny it was touching which is very important to me it wasn't just a comedy and you come on and you you also uh, um, you might even cry for a moment in the movie not for long or have a tear not cry a tear come to your eyes i like that you because you know what real life is like that real life isn't funny it isn't sad it isn't dangerous. It isn't terrible. It's all four. Right? Well, no, it's these two. They told me that they were, it was Michael, and, and they were talking to Alan. And I remember saying, well, if Alan would do it, I'd just have to. I said the same thing about these two. Yeah. I said, they're doing it. I can't be wrong, you know, because I've been wrong. But if, if they two do it, you can't be wrong. You can't all three of us be wrong. No, all three of us cannot possibly be wrong. No. And what I learned today, just today, was you read the script first. He did. Uh, Tell him that story. Tell him that story. Listen to this. I I had I read a, uh, an earlier version. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure who was connected with it. They sent it. I turned it down. I turned it down twice. And they asked me why. I said, because it's not about anything. It has no meaning of any kind. I said, it's three old guys just robbing a bank. They said, what would you be interested in? Would, is there a way that you would be interested in doing it? I said, yeah. If, for example, they work for a company that gets sent overseas and they're, and they're pinching, blah, blah, blah. And they said, let's do it. And uh, I said, okay, if you put that in, I said, then, then I'll be connected with it. Uh, and that's the script that I read. Yeah. I but I, I think they probably might have sent it to me before he said, okay, this is good, I'll do it. 
because they, you hadn't committed. I was stunned because I remembered a George Burns one and there was nothing like that in it, you know? Yeah, no. it was just... And I, I got it and I went, blimey, what happened? The guy who wrote this script uh, immediately afterwards wrote what I think is one of the best movies of, of this year. He wrote... Uh, Hidden Figures. Oh my! Yeah, God. It, he wrote and directed guy. Hidden Figures. Oh, okay. He yeah, wrote Hidden really Figures. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you I, see I it? found that out yesterday. I didn't know that because yeah. Hidden Figures is one of my favorite movies this year. Yeah, yeah. Mine too. I, I, I was. I had to turn it off. I, I was sobbing so hard in the middle of it that I had to turn it off and, and watch yeah. it uh, for ten minutes and then mm. collect myself. Well, I'm not going to argue with them about hidden figures, but I'm not quite so sure that this was a film that was worth remaking. The original that Michael Caine mentioned dates back to 1979. It was a slight story then, and it still is. There's also an awful lot of similarities with a really dreadful British movie from last year called Golden Years, which had a group of pensioners robbing banks. Here, Kane recruits his mates Freeman and Arkin to help him rob just one. All three of them have had their pensions frozen by their former employers, and Kane's bank is about to foreclose on his house. So that's the one they decide to hold up. Now, I didn't have very high expectations of this, but I actually found myself being drawn into it by its three stars and their undeniable charm. They are the film's biggest asset and they all play to their strengths. The deadpan Kane, the more laid-back Freeman and Arkin doing his usual grumpy old man act, but without the language that earned him an Oscar. Frankly, they could all do this in their sleep, but at least they have the good grace not to look like they're just taking the money and running. Yet for some unaccountable reason, the film really doesn't make the most of them. Despite looking like one of those patronising movies designed for the grey market, this one actually manages to avoid that trap and there are some genuinely funny scenes, as well as some running gags. Most of the humour, though, raises a smile and not a great deal more. It makes a pleasant, undemanding hour and a half, but to be honest, that's all it really is. From one end of the age spectrum to the other, it's the boss baby. Who are you? Let's just say I'm the boss. The boss? You're a baby. You wear a diaper. You know who else wears diapers? Astronauts and NASCAR drivers, that's who. Gold efficiency, Templeton. The average toddler spends, what, 45 hours a year on the potty? I'm the boss. I don't have that kind of spare time. Alec Baldwin is the micromanager of the title in The Boss Baby, released Friday Certificate 12A. And I've got this definite feeling that we've been here before, because last year The Secret Life of Pets made out that it was all about what pets do when their owners are out of the house. But it wasn't enough to sustain a whole movie, so they added a plotline about a white psycho bunny. The Boss Baby has the same problem. A dominant new baby taking over the house just does not have enough juice in the tank. So up pops another storyline, this time involving puppies. Yeah, right. This, of course, is no ordinary baby. He's suited, he's nearly booted, he carries a briefcase and he's voiced by Alec Baldwin. His big brother Tim feels rather left out, but then discovers that his little brother has a secret. Not only can he talk, as we've heard, but he's on a mission. Yep, those puppies again. 
and the cutometer is set to high. Now, there are times when the film is nicely observed. The whole business about Tim feeling neglected works rather well, but the film is really rather uneven. When it gets it right with the jokes and the observations and the action, you are with it all the way. And it gets a gold star for casting Alec Baldwin as the baby. There is a real facial resemblance there. Although, of course, some people think he looks rather more like the current occupant of the White House. And that was something that the film's director, Tom McGrath, was very keen to put in its place when I talked to him this week for Flickering Myth. The Donald Trump references that people are seeing were... Not I think there's. The I think they're seeing like that on their own. They're, no, you know, we actually. I don't think a lot of people realize. Uh, you know, we didn't make this film in the last two months. We actually started six years ago, and we actually finished before the elections. And you never know when you're making an animated movie who's going to be in office, what the the climate's going to be like. But the thing that's always positive about it, you know, no matter how much uh, turmoils in the world or strife. Everyone needs a positive movie or to go as a family and enjoy something and forget about all your troubles for a little bit and just laugh, you know, and that was our our goal. But it does suffer from that overwrought plot and it just isn't consistent enough. The Boss Baby is enjoyable enough, but it's also eminently forgettable. It certainly won't give you any sleepless nights. On to another big name and actually one of the biggest of the lot, literally, Arne Schwarzenegger in Aftermath. The company agrees to pay you damages in the amount of $75,000 for your daughter's death, $85,000 for your wife's. Look at this photo. I would like for someone to say that they're sorry for killing my family. The governator there in Aftermath released Friday Certificate 15, another of Arnie's adventures in Indyland. Now, after dabbling in horror and playing a zombie's dad in Maggie a couple of years ago, here he's a father again, this time one who's suffered the triple loss of wife, daughter and unborn child in a mid-air plane crash. It destroys his life, but he is actually just one half of the story, because there's also the air traffic controller who was on duty when the crash happened, and his life is shattered as well. At its core are fraught subjects like grief and guilt and trauma and loss, and the idea of following the two men who are affected in different ways by tragedy is a good, if conventional, one. There's a decent story buried somewhere in here, but it's approached in such a clunky manner that it never stands a chance of breaking free. It really needs to take a whole wadge of leaves out of Kenneth Lonergan's script-writing manual, particularly the one that's labelled Manchester by the Sea, which deals with similar issues and emotions, but does it a whole lot better. Aftermath has its moments, but they're few and far between, and there's just not enough of them to give the film the clout that its subject matter needs and deserves. Finally, two big names in literature. Firstly, American poet Emily Dickinson in A Quiet Passion. Will you go with us to church, Miss Buffum? Of course not. Going to church is like going to Boston. You only enjoy it after you've gotten home. We are to pray for the repose of our late pastor's soul. Doesn't that rather depend on where it's gone? (laughs) We shall become fast friends. Of course we shall. I'm irresistible. Everyone says so. 
Cynthia Nixon making a new friend in Catherine Bailey in A Quiet Passion, released on Friday, Certificate 12A. And if you go and see it, be prepared for the long haul, because director Terence Davis makes lengthy films. His biopic of Emily Dickinson is actually closer to being a personal tribute to her attitudes, her physical and mental suffering, and of course her poetry. It is slow. It's leisurely. It also has the look of an old painting with its smoky, candlelit glow. And it has a superlative performance from Cynthia Nixon as Emily, easily the best thing she's ever done. There's also fine work from David Carradine and Jennifer Ely. Now, some people have found this one hard going. If you can handle the length, though, and Davis's occasional tendency to dwell too long on certain shots you will find a lot to admire and appreciate. The other literary giant is Chilean poet and diplomat Pablo Neruda, and the story of his time on the run from the authorities is the subject of Neruda, which is released on Friday, Certificate 15. There's no clip because it's in Spanish. This comes from the director Pablo Larraín, who made the brilliant Jackie earlier on in the year. And, once again, he's picked a fascinating and complicated character. Actually, this time there's two of them. Neruda himself, who's on the run from the authorities because of his membership of the Communist Party, and the detective on his tail. It's a game of cat and mouse between the two men, the enigmatic and charismatic poet and the detective who lives in something of a fantasy world and is obsessed by his prey. Luis Cunieco and Gael Garcia Bernal, as the poet and the cop respectively, are both outstanding. The film itself is a mixture of history, legend and fiction, and we're never quite sure where one ends and the other begins. Ultimately, the film is a deeply involving, shadowy thriller with two enthralling characters at its centre. You're listening to Talking Pictures. Look. The lovely Madame Petit in apartment seven. She's married to a German tongue captain and she's watching us. You're very thorough. That's why I'm still alive. Now we should talk and laugh. Mm. We're married, why would we laugh? On to this week's DVDs, and that was Brad Pitt and Marianne Cotillard putting up a good show in Allied, a World War II romance from the last director you'd expect, Robert Zemeckis. During the war, Canadian Air Force pilot Pitt parachutes into Casablanca and meets fellow spy Cotillard. Now he's there to take part in an assassination plot. Once the mission is over, the two go off to London, get married, and he settles down to something closer to a desk job. But then the British military start to suspect that she is actually a German agent, and they set a trap which involves her loving husband. To be honest, it is all a bit ho-hum for a number of reasons. Zemeckis has a real thing for pathetic fallacy. Inside a car in the desert, passion rages. Outside, there's a raging sandstorm. You get the idea. But the thing is, he does it over and over again. The big problem, though, is all to do with the main characters. For a start, there is precious little chemistry on screen between Pitt and Gautier. They're playing people who've been trained to tell lies, and that makes it even harder to believe that they've fallen in love. Worse still, their characters are woefully underwritten, something of a disaster when the film stands or falls by them and them alone. The rest of the cast are reduced to small, sketchy roles, and that squanders familiar British faces like Anton Lesser, Marion Bailey and Jared Harris. 
Allied is rather like the aeroplane in the film that explodes on Hampstead Heath. It crashes and burns. Also on DVD, something for all the family as Easter approaches. It's Disney's Moana. What? No, I'm here to... Of course, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Now he always has time for his fans. When you use a bird to write with, it's called tweeting. The voice of Dwayne Johnson, no less, as the demigod Maui in Moana. And this time we're in the South Seas, a gift to filmmakers and animators in particular. Moana is a teenage girl, the daughter of the chief of Motunui Island, who is destined to lead her people when she's older. But when the island starts to crumble and the vegetation dies, she goes in search of the only person who can put things right. That demigod Maui, who stole the stone at the heart of the island, and she has to persuade him to bring it back. Now, the film does echo other Disney triumphs, finding Dory in particular with the vivid colours of the seabed, and Moana's pet chicken, Hi Hi, who was especially stupid and irritating. This might not be Disney's most original animation, but visually it luxuriates in colour and spectacle. The voices are well chosen, especially the inspired selection of Dwayne Johnson as Maui, and the music plays an integral part instead of being a bolt-on. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a musical version of this in the next few years, if, of course, they can sort out having the sea on stage. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. With Frida Cooper. And that's this week's lineup, and it's been really difficult to extract a film of the week from that lot. But I've actually gone for one of the smaller films this week, the engrossing Neruda. And a quiet passion isn't far behind. The Boss Baby has done really well at the American box office this week and is expecting to repeat that over here. Well, we'll know if it has this time next week. For now, though, here's the new top five at the British box office. So two new entries this week, although the film at number five is on its way out, and that is Power Rangers. Get Out slips one place to number four, while the first new entry is straight in at number three, and it's The Smurfs, The Lost Village. Also straight in, this time at number two, is Ghost in the Shell, doing a whole lot better at the box office here than in the States. But still at number one for the third week running is Disney's Beauty and the Beast. What are you? I am Lumiere. And you can talk? Well, of course he can talk. It's all he ever does. As well as scoring that triple whammy, the film has now taken over £50 million and it is not finished yet. In this week's movie news headlines, after working with Ben Wheatley on Free Fire, Army Hammer has gone back for more and has joined Alicia Vikander on the cast of Freak Shift. Seven years after what was supposed to be the last in the series, Shrek 5 is under development. And Shia LaBeouf's Man Down, which I reviewed last week, took just seven quid at the box office. That solitary ticket was sold in Burnley. And that's all from this week's Talking Pictures. No time for any clips from next week's show, but I guess you kind of know what to expect from Fast and Furious 8. Not a lot of dialogue. And there's more older people on the rob, this time in the Hatton Garden job. 
On DVD, there's more from Disney, Rogue One. So I'll be back with another edition of Talking Pictures next week. Until then, enjoy the movies. Enjoy the movies.